Hey, so we've been in a series that we call Jelly of the Month Club because one of my favorite Christmas movies is the edited version of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I'm not necessarily endorsing the movie. I'm just stating it as a fact. And uh, as a matter of fact, towards the end of the movie, you know, Clark, he's expecting a Christmas bonus from his boss. Instead, he gets a subscription to the Jelly of the Month Club for the next year. And every one of us has a story like that, a story of disappointment at Christmas. And whether your disappointment is going on right now or your disappointment is sometime in the past, uh, Christmas is a very disappointing time. We claim it's the most wonderful time of the year, but frequently it's the most disappointing time of the year. I've told you some of my own personal disappointment stories. Over the past three weeks, I've given you three disappointment stories, and each one of them was related to a gift that I had received. Today, I'm going to give you my absolute most favorite Christmas disappointment story. It's such a favorite disappointment story for me that I have shared it three times, including today, with all of you because it's my favorite one, and I just absolutely love this story because it's a story of disappointment, and it has nothing to do with me because it's all Santa's fault. Now, just to be clear on this, Back in 2008, Santa would wrap presents in our household. Every single, every single, you know, year before then, Santa would leave presents under the tree unwrapped. And it was just presents from family that were wrapped. But one year, in 2008, one year only, Santa wrapped the present that he put under the tree. And I want you to see what that present looks like sitting next to my son in 2008. I asked his permission, but I didn't ask his permission to show this picture, but he just clicked it, so there you go. Anyway, so this is, Char- this is Charlie holding his um, a stocking present that Santa had left him, a Penguin Webkins doll, and the box right next to him with Snoopy and red colors on it is the box that Santa left him. And I want to just prove it to you by showing you this next scene. And it says right there, to Charlie from Santa. I know some of you have seen me show this picture before. So some of you know where this is going. Some of you are like, I remember this, but I don't remember what happens next. So this is to Charlie from Santa. It's all Santa's fault. I just want that to be very clearly understood. And go ahead and show the next scene because this is what was in the box. Barbie and the Diamond Castle carriage, complete with horse and carriage. It looked like a Cinderella carriage, a big pumpkin-looking shaped thing. And I cannot tell you the look on Charlie's face when he ripped that. You notice, by the way, the paper has been ripped open, but it hasn't been finished Okay, because what happened here in this moment is it was super enthusiastic, exciting, and Charlie got to open his Santa gift first before Katie opened her Santa gift. And so Charlie took the piece of paper and he ripped this big opening gash right in the top and then stopped and looked at it. And you could see on his face there was this mix of wonderment and abject disappointment because. Why in the world would Santa have given him such a gift? Every now and then, someone that we really, really trust gives us something that makes no sense. 
And at that moment, Charlie was just dumbfounded. And all of a sudden, Jen and I decided Santa must have made a mistake. So before you go any farther, Charlie, let us take a photo of this. And then, Katie, you can open yours and let's just see what happened. And lo and behold, she had a guy's gift in there. And lo and behold, she really wanted the Barbie and the Diamond Castle carriage with the horse. And so I don't even remember what Santa brought for Katie, but I remember this because, you know, we've well documented this. And it's just my favorite story of Christmas disappointment. So we got it all squared away, but I got to let you know two things. One, Santa never wrapped a present again in our household. And two, the next year he actually literally wrote Charlie a sorry note. <laughs> Said, I'm sorry for last year's mix up. It won't happen again. That's why I didn't wrap your presents this year. So. Man, sometimes Santa just misses the mark, you know? But So every now and then, every now and then, someone you really trust gives you something that you don't think you need. Every now and then, someone you really trust gives you something that doesn't make sense for you. And in that moment of disappointment, if it's from Santa, maybe he just mixed up the gifts. But a lot of us have that same experience with God, where he will bring something into our lives that maybe he intends to be a gift, but when we open it, we're like, well, what is this all about? This doesn't make sense to me at all. And we have been in this study of disappointment because over the past couple of weeks, I've been trying to claim that disappointment might just be the true meaning of Christmas. Because it just might be that the gift you desperately need is disappointment first, so that God can take you to the real thing that he has for you so that God can bring you to the real thing. Or that the thing that is the best gift possible for you, the gift that keeps giving all year round, is actually the thing that when you first see it, doesn't look like a gift to you at all. Today we're going to see another one of those stories, another time where the gift that was given doesn't make sense at all. And we're going to be looking at a character that is rarely talked about on Christmas. His name is Judas. Now, you've probably heard Judas's name before. Uh, Judas is the one that every single time John, in the Gospel of John, mentions Judas, he reminds us that Judas is the one who would betray Jesus. And the other Gospels frequently do the same thing. Whenever they mention Judas's name, they will say, remember, this is the guy who betrays Jesus. He's Judas the betrayer. In fact, there's another disciple. There there are 12 disciples that Jesus called together, and there were two that were sometimes called Judas, but the one that betrayed Jesus is always called Judas Iscariot, just to make sure we know exactly what this guy was and who this guy was. And so you know some of the end of his story, but I want to take you to his, just a little bit of his backstory. And it begins in Mark chapter 3. In Mark chapter 3, we get a little bit of Judas's backstory. And so what I want to do is I want to put it up on the screen here and show you what we find out there. Let's go ahead and put it up. It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. Pause there. This is where we begin. Jesus is calling together to himself a number of guys that according to this passage, he wants. This is key. He calls to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed. 
Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, which, by the way, is just a super cool nickname. If you and your brother were sons of thunder, that's just interesting. Anyway, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. The only one in the list who gets a last name here. The other, a couple other guys we are told about their fathers, so Zebedee and Alphaeus, but Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is important. At the very outset, you need to know that Jesus wanted Judas on his team. Jesus had his own reasons, but Jesus wanted Judas on his team. I just want to ask you another question, though, a related question. Why did Judas want to be on Jesus' team? Well, probably the same reason that any of the other guys wanted to be on Jesus' team. Right? I mean, so if you were approached by Jesus and he said, would you follow me, why would you have said yes? Well, incidentally, we got a couple reasons why these guys might have said yes. And when Jesus went up to Peter and uh, the other fishermen guys, Peter, James, and John, these guys who were fishermen, he said to them, I will make you fishers of men. In other words, I'm going to take you and I'm going to shape you into a person who has influence over other people. And so because of what Jesus said to Peter, James, and John, these guys were going to have better uh, purpose in their lives. They were going to have more influence in their lives. And Jesus said to some of the other guys, listen, come after me. And he doesn't necessarily say, I will make you fishers of men. But in this passage we just read, did you see what he did say? He said, I'm going to turn you into demon killers. I'm going to turn you into demon caster outers, miracle workers. Jesus says that to these guys, including Judas, I want you to have the power to cast out demons, to preach in my name and to cast out. That's amazing. Maybe these guys joined Jesus because he was the power man, because he was the miracle worker. Maybe these guys joined Jesus because they were just in the presence of coolness. Or maybe they joined Jesus because he was going to give them something they could never have on their own. They could have purpose and significance and meaning and influence and power and authority. There's this one passage where James and John get their mom to come up to Jesus and they say, hey, can my boys sit on your right hand and left hand when you enter your kingdom? And Jesus says, well, that's a silly question to ask. ask. And, and he gives them kind of an answer. But the question is the key. These guys were in the midst of this relationship with Jesus because they thought when Jesus becomes the king, we want to be the people that are his favorite. When Jesus becomes the king, we want to be the people on his right and his left. But we don't really know why Judas said yes. Could be any one of these reasons, right? We just don't really know. We do know one thing, though. There was a moment in time where Judas's motivation to follow Jesus stopped. There's a very clear moment in Scripture where Judas, who had been following Jesus as one of his core 12, lost his motivation. And I would like to show that to you today because it's a passage that a lot of us don't really associate with this particular reason. It's in Mark chapter 14. Go there with me if you have it. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Now the Passover 
And the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. Incidentally, this is when Jesus is about to be killed, around the time of Passover. The festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came in with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. Nard is just like a spice, like uh, frankincense or myrrh, something like that. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Listen, I know you have probably heard this story. If you've been in church before for any period of time, you've probably heard the story of the woman who breaks the perfume and pours it all over Jesus. You've probably heard that story before. In fact, it shows up in three of the Gospels, the story of the woman breaking the perfume and pouring it all over Jesus. You've probably heard the story before. But did you ever notice that this is the moment when Judas turns? It's a weird situation. It's a weird situation that here they are, they're in Bethany, they're having this meal. It's a meal celebrating Jesus probably, we think, and it's honoring him. And so in the midst of this meal, a woman comes over and she breaks this perfume. Now granted, listen, when that kind of perfume jar would be broken and the whole thing poured out, we're talking a year's worth of money invested in this perfume. I'm not sure exactly how much perfume there is or what quality of perfume it is, but if you take any Christmas bottle of perfume, even the cheap stuff, and you break the whole thing and pour it out in your living room, you're going to be smelling that for a while, and I'll tell you the truth, it will mess up your dinner. Now, granted, this is probably a thing that would really make all the food taste weird, and it would probably just annoy everybody in the room. That's probably the case. But these people who are around this table aren't annoyed at the woman who now makes the room smell funny. They're annoyed because she somehow is using wealth in such a wasteful way. And Judas gives up on Jesus. Why? What is it about this moment that would cause you to decide to betray your closest friend so that he would be killed by the people who've been hunting him down. What is it about this situation? It doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? So we can hypothesize. People have been sort of guessing for many, many years about what Judas's motivations might have been. I'm going to give you a couple of them, three of them. Uh, maybe Judas wanted a priest, but Jesus was hanging around with sinners too much. Maybe Judas was one of these guys who wanted a priest. He wanted a holy, perfect priest. 
And we know from one of the other gospels that at least one time, a woman who was a sinner came and broke perfume all over Jesus. Maybe this is that woman. So there are, I told you there are three times this story shows up in the gospels. Twice, the story is obviously the same story. They happen in Bethany at the same kind of situation. But there's a third one where we are told the woman is a sinner, and maybe it's a separate instance, or maybe it's the same instance. We don't know. If it's the same instance, then perhaps Judas is saying, Jesus is allowing this sinful woman to touch him, and I want a pure priest. I want a holy priest, and Jesus is not going to be that. Or maybe it was a previous encounter where the woman was a sinner, and now Judas is remembering that previous encounter. You know, Jesus hangs out with sinners all the time, and I want a pure priest. And so maybe, maybe Judas is just simply saying, I want a holy priest, and Jesus is spending too much time with sinners. Some people have suggested that as an idea. There's another option. Maybe Judas wanted a king, and he wanted someone who would rule over the Romans. He wanted a king, but Jesus keeps talking about his own death. You know, Jesus right here says, I'm going to die. And right after Jesus says, I'm going to die, and this woman is preparing me for burial, that's when Judas turns around. Maybe Judas is like, well, Jesus has a death wish. I'm just going to accelerate the thing. I'm just going to make it happen. You know, some people even have the theory that Judas did what he did because he was trying to catalyze or push Jesus into taking his throne. That Judas believed maybe if Jesus were truly threatened, he would embrace his messiahship, embrace his kingship, and just enter into the king. We don't know, but one of the motivations could have been that Judas wanted a king. We know that everybody else around Jesus wanted a king, so maybe Judas wanted that motivation, had that same motivation. Well, it just so happens I told you this account shows up twice in exactly the same way. And it just so happens that in that second account, we actually hear Judas's motive. It's in the Gospel of John. I'm going to take you there. John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, I'm going to also start in verse 1. It says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived. You guys remember Lazarus. We talked about him. It's not where Lazarus died, it's where Lazarus lives, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples... Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Earlier, we didn't hear that it was Judas who said these words. It just said some of the disciples. You know, that other writer was trying to soften it just a little bit. But John, he was in the room at the time, and he says, no, no, it was Judas. It was Judas who said this thing, the money could be given to the poor, and Judas had a reason for saying this thing. Because here's the truth. 
If the money is given to the poor, someone is probably going to give it to Jesus. And if someone gives it to Jesus, then it's going to go in the money bag that Judas keeps. And if Judas is the one who keeps the money bag and there's a lot of money in there, it's not too easy to recognize when a little bit of that money goes missing. When there's a small amount of money, it's easy to recognize when some of it goes missing. When there's a large amount of money, it's not so easy. And he's like, if we have a lot of money in this little bag that I carry, if I'm the treasurer, it's easy to sneak a little bit out. And John just outright says, Judas was a thief. He was stealing the money. And now we know. Now we know what the motive was and we know exactly what was going on in this situation because Judas was in the whole thing for personal gain. And problem, the money bag was running out. The well was running dry. Judas was in it for personal gain. And Jesus says he's going to die. Well, if Jesus dies, now all of a sudden people are going to stop giving money to Jesus. And if Jesus is dead and people stop giving money to Jesus, then there's going to be no need for a treasurer for the Jesus ministry. And if there's no need for a treasurer for the Jesus ministry, there's not going to be a sack with cash in it. And if there's no sack with cash in it, there's no way to sneak it out. And when Jesus says he's on his way to die, Judas says, I'm on my way to get paid. And so he immediately goes to the Pharisees and he says, what will you give me if I bring Jesus to you? You know that whole negotiation with the 30 pieces of silver thing? It happens immediately after this moment. Listen, I just want to be abundantly clear about this. Judas was in this for himself. And that's why he got disappointed. See, there's a contrast between Judas and Mary. Mary is the other key figure in this story. And when Mary comes to Jesus, she takes a perfume that is worth a year of work. Listen, the average household family income in Tippecanoe County is around forty-five dollars to $50,000. Can you imagine spending $40,000 or $50,000 on one bottle of perfume? Someone tells you, here's a bottle of perfume for $50,000, and you say, that's idiocy. That's lunacy. No one needs to buy that. Well, back in this culture back then, that was how you stored money. You stored money in objects that wouldn't go bad. And super high quality perfumes locked in an alabaster jar wouldn't go bad. And so you could use that as your life savings. Mary has her life savings wrapped up in this. How long does it take you to save up to buy a $50,000 bottle of perfume? She has her life savings in this. But Jesus is about to die, and somehow she's one of the few people who realizes it. And after Jesus dies, his body's going to be anointed with perfumes and herbs and oils and fragrances. But after he's dead, he won't know that she's the one who did it. And so she says, I'm going to take everything I have. And I'm going to bring it to Jesus while he's still here so he can know how much I love him. See, here's the thing. Mary's act was an incredibly lavish act of love and nothing else. She's not in it for herself. She's in it completely for Jesus. And in contrast, Judas is in it completely for himself. See, 
that's the contrast here. Her actions, a fleeting, temporary, brief moment of extravagant love. She takes a year's worth of her savings, her whole life savings probably, and she spends it in one fleeting moment of extravagant love. And Judas takes everything he's been given and throws it away. I want to ask you a question. At the moment before Judas leaves the room, which of these two characters is feeling the most fulfilled? Which of these two characters is feeling the most satisfied? Is it Mary, who has just lost her life savings in a fleeting moment of extravagance? Or is it Judas, who is about to obtain 30 pieces of silver? Whose life is more satisfied at this moment? Well, I think it's obvious, isn't it? I think Mary's life would probably be the one that's most satisfied. I think Mary, in that moment, has just done the thing that she most wanted to do. She gave herself to someone else. And you know that. You know when that moment comes and you have given yourself fully to someone else who has received it and been blessed by it, you are so fulfilled. You are so satisfied. But Judas... The reason he leaves the room is because he's empty. It's because he's disappointed. Listen, I'm just going to give you the hard truth here. If you're in this thing for Jesus, you can never be disappointed. But if you're in it for yourself, you can never be satisfied. This is the way the world works. This is the way God wired us up. This is the way the world works. If I'm in it for Jesus, then if I'm in it for God, if I'm in it for the one who made me, then there's nothing that can truly disappoint me. But if I'm in it for myself, there's nothing that can truly satisfy me. Because the moment I get one thing, my eyes are on the next thing. And the moment one gift comes my way, my eyes are on the next gift. If I'm in it for myself, I'll never be satisfied. I want to prove that to you by taking you to one more passage. Matthew 27, verses 3 through 5. I'll put it up here. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What's that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. Jesus says it best. The one who loses his life for my sake will find it. The one... (laughs) who seeks to preserve his life, will lose it. The simple question for us today, the simple question for us, especially at a time like Christmas, is am I in this thing for Jesus or am I in this thing for me? There are so many Christians who follow Jesus so long as Jesus blesses them. They follow Jesus so long as the blessings keep coming. They follow Jesus just so long as things are working out for them. They go to a church. And when that church begins to change things, then they say, well, maybe it's time for me to leave. 
someone in the church makes them a little frustrated or angry and they say, well, maybe it's time for us to leave. And after church bounce to church bounce to church bounce, so many people in our world finally just bounce right out of church. And they say, I don't even want to come back. Or some people just do the casual thing. They leave church A, planning to go to church B, C, D, or E, but just the next week, since they don't have their own home church and they haven't found a new home church, they just say, maybe not. And so they bounce out and never bounce back in. But that's just church. Some people do it with church relationships. I have a friendship with a particular person. That person says something to me the wrong way and, oh, they're a Christian, they should know better, or oh, they should have forgiven me for that thing that I did, or something along those lines, and I just can't maintain that relationship with them anymore. And so then they leave that relationship, and then they leave this other relationship, and then they leave this other relationship until finally they're all by themselves, and they're like, what has Christianity done for me lately? And then they just sort of fade away from that too. There are so many people who follow Jesus just as long as it's for them. So the question for you and me is this, are you Mary or are you Judas? I want you to have a Merry Christmas. I want you to take this approach to say, I'm in this not for me. I'm in this for him. I'm in the whole thing. I mean, the reason I go to church isn't for me, it's for him. The reason I'm with other Christians isn't for me, it's for him. The reason I talk about my faith to other people isn't for me, it's for him. The reason I open up my Bible isn't for me, it's for him. The reason I pray isn't for me, it's for him. The reason I sing isn't for me, it's for him. The reason I do whatever it is that I'm doing isn't for me, it's for him. And the more I get in tune with that, the less I get disappointed with anything. I'm in it for him not for me. I want to encourage you, especially this Christmas season when the whole world is telling you to think about how you're going to treat yourself, how you're going to bless yourself, or what presents you're going to get this week, perhaps, something along those lines. I want you to just take a brief moment, a breath, and step back and say, no, I will be a person who gives to Jesus my everything, expecting from Jesus nothing, and receiving from Jesus, him. See, here's the secret. In the moment around the table, when the woman pours out the perfume, Judas is thinking about the perfume, the money, and himself. Mary is thinking about Jesus. That's it. I want to ask you to spend a few moments and just quiet reflection, to think through what does it take for me to come back to the place of simplicity where I just simply say, Jesus, this is all about you and not about me. I'm going to ask you to take a few moments, take that card, jot down some thoughts on the back side of the card, and let's just embrace this for this season. Jesus, what does it mean for me to make my life all about you and not so much about me? Let me pray for you. Thanks for listening to this message from Lafayette Community Church. We are all about helping you Live the life you were made to live. God made you. God loves you. And his plans for you are perfect. So if you are anywhere near Lafayette, Indiana, join us this weekend at one of our worship gatherings. And wherever you are, 
check us out online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com.